0: Guys, welcome back. A quick teaching in understanding the Kingdom of God, because the value of this podcast is to seek first the Kingdom, understand the Kingdom, obey the King of the Kingdom, and communicate the message of the Kingdom. What I'm going to do in this episode is I'm going to take some of the common scriptures, the common popular Bible verses that you and I know and love, and And I'm going to apply a kingdom understanding to them. And so one thing you need to understand as we apply a kingdom understanding to these common famous scriptures is that Jesus Christ is the king of the kingdom of God. And when he is speaking, he is describing reality. Jesus isn't giving you commandments because it's a religious thing to do. Jesus isn't giving you the Beatitudes because it's something that people can laminate and put on their wall. No. When Jesus is teaching you about the kingdom of God, he is describing reality. I'm a professional coffee person. I'm a barista. I'm an Australian international coffee judge. I have trained hundreds of baristas in hundreds of cafes and when I am looking to train a barista when I'm looking to hire staff I'm looking for reality I don't care if you have a degree in coffee making it is irrelevant what I'm looking for is cleanliness what I'm looking for is timeliness what I'm looking for is attitude. At the end of the day, hospitality is about service. Hospitality is about other people. It's cleaning up. It's mopping the floor. Making coffee is a science. And it's no different to a fine dining restaurant having a menu. And every item on the menu has a recipe. You don't make cake one day with with four eggs and the next day with eleven eggs. If I make pancakes, I'm gonna put one cup of flour, half a cup of milk and one egg. If I'm gonna make pancakes with eleven eggs, they're gonna be rocks, they're not gonna be pancakes. And it's exactly the same with coffee. Why would you change the recipe? Coffee has to have a very specific recipe. It's an exact number of beans. It is an exact temperature of water. When I walk into a cafe, immediately I know the quality of the coffee. I don't need to drink it. And that's a truth. By looking at the coffee grinder, by looking at the coffee machine, even by looking at the placement of the location of those devices, I'll know exactly how profitable the cafe will be. I know exactly how fast the coffee delivery will be. I know exactly how good it will taste. It doesn't matter how amazing the beans are. It doesn't matter how amazing the barista is. If the coffee machine is in the wrong place, I know that the coffee will taste bad. And so it's exactly the same in the kingdom of God. When Jesus is giving you and I the beatitudes of the kingdom, he's describing reality. He's not saying, you know, guys, here's five or six things for you to do here's five or six things that you can write on your wall you know here's some extra work for you guys because you know i'm a a religious leader and i just need you guys to be busy and i want you guys to be worried about what i think no jesus is describing reality when i hire a barista when i train staff i i'm more interested in their attitude than their aptitude I'm more interested in a barista who will do what I tell them, who will turn up on time, and who will smile when they spill something. I'm looking for that more than I'm looking for their ability to do latte art. Because I can teach a monkey to do latte art. But it's hard to find someone with good attitude. And it's the same with the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, this is a description of how to live in the kingdom of God. So, like a barista, I'm looking for someone with a good attitude. God is saying, I am going to bless you. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are you when you Don't know it all. Jesus is saying, in the kingdom of God, you will see God when you come with a teachable attitude. The same as with the coffee industry. I'm looking for someone who's teachable. I'm looking for someone with the right attitude. God's saying, I'm looking for people who will obey me. I'm looking for people who don't know it all. I'm looking for people who wake up in the morning and they say, God, I need you today. God, I'm not going to work unless you come with me. God, I'm not going to be able to parent these kids unless you help me. God, I can't pastor this church unless you put your love in, the ch- in, the, in my heart for these people. So Matthew chapter 5 is a description of reality. The reality of how to actually, in reality, live in the kingdom of God. You're not in the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. So you need to live in this world according to the kingdom principles. You need to live in this world according to the reality of the reality. The reality is that there is a kingdom of God on the earth. There there is a kingdom of darkness. And you need to live according to the reality of the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, this is how you live in the kingdom of God. This is a description of reality. I'm not looking for baristas with a beard, with tattoos, or who can do amazing latte art. I'm looking for baristas who will turn up to work according to the roster. Every time. I'm looking for baristas who will smile at the customers when they've had a bad day. I'm looking for baristas who will follow my recipe, not whatever recipe they want to make. And Jesus is saying, these are the ways that you live in the kingdom of God. Number one, you need to be poor in spirit. In other words, you need to know nothing. Christ, Paul said, I know nothing, but Christ Christ. Crucified. Number two, blessed are those who mourn. You need to feel bad for when people sin. You know, I remember seeing two homosexuals kissing in the park. They were they were smiling. They had a picnic. They looked happy, but it bro- it grieved my heart. It grieved my heart because I saw an abnormal use of a man. It's like someone grabbing a Ferrari, a really beautiful Ferrari, and turning it into a garden bed. It's like cutting off the roof of the Ferrari and filling it with soil and planting tomatoes and saying, look what I've done with this $300,000 Ferrari. I've turned it into a vegetable garden. Now, that would break the heart of the Italians who designed and built that car. You might say, well, the person who bought the car can do with it what they want. Yes, but it's an abuse. It's an abnormal use. And those who mourn are those who see the abnormal use that people do on the earth and it hurts them. It hurts me when I see A man and a man kissing because even though according to our world they are consensual according to God they are abusing each other even though it's legal and consensual both men are abusing the other man I'm gonna say it again even if both men are consenting they are both abusing themselves and the other person if you take a car and drive it underwater, it's abusing the car. If you take a fish out of the water, it's abusing the fish. If you put a bird underwater, it's abusing the bird. It's not a normal use of a bird to be underwater. And it's not a normal use for a man to be with a man. So even if it's legal, even if it's consensual, even if they enjoy it, it's abuse. Because it's the abnormal use of a man. It's not meant to be. And so the reality is that you need to be concerned. You need to be grieved when you see these things. You know, Jesus isn't just grieved with sin. He's grieved with injustice. He's grieved when we don't look after our environment. He's grieved when we don't care for other people, when we don't love other people. There are many things in the Bible that, that God hates. He hates unjust scales. He hates false witness. These are passionate, passionate things. There are things that God hates in the Bible and that he detests. Okay? He hates lying tongues. He hates the shedding of innocent blood. So abortion. God hates abortion. Abortion. He hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. He hates feet that are quick to do evil. He hates false witness. And he hates people who stir up conflict. Okay? So, God is describing reality. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So, Jesus here is, again, is describing reality. He's saying... If you have an inner strength, you know, in other words, you need to know who you are. If someone slaps you and you turn the other cheek, that's a strength because you know who you are. You know that your response is going to determine the eternal destiny of that person. So in other words, when they slap you, you have a choice to make, if they slap you and you don't slap them back, they are going to know that you are of God. They are going to be convicted of their sins and they are going to have a chance to repent. So when you're not defending yourself, when you're being meek, when you're putting your your own needs last and you're putting other needs of other people ahead of you, when you're thinking of others as better than yourself, you're doing it because you want them to be saved. Meekness is an inner strength where you know who you are, you know whose you are, so you can love your enemies, so you can do good to those who hurt you and who despitefully use you, not because you're some pious, heroic person, not because you want to look good before other people, not because you want to impress people with how religious you are. No, it's a description of reality. The reality is that when you don't fight back, you're doing that because you are trying to save their souls. You're doing that because the reality is your decision in that moment could send them to hell. When they treat you badly and you defend yourself like everybody else, you're proving to them that God isn't real and that he doesn't love them. But when your wife leaves you and you love her no matter what, when your boss fires you and you praise him and speak well of him behind his back and he finds out that you have done that, he will be cut to the heart and he will know God. Meekness is knowing who you are. Meekness is knowing that you are the closest thing to God that anybody is going to meet. And that your decision in that moment, your choices, your words, your actions and your inactions are going to determine their eternal destiny. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness this is realizing that without proximity to the king you are totally stuffed jesus is describing reality he's saying if you know me everything's going to be okay righteousness is right standing with god if you knew that jesus was the king of the universe you'd want to be his friend. You'd want to have his phone number on speed dial. You'd want to be able to turn up to his house and say, Hey, Jesus, and and he's like, Who is it? Oh, yeah, it's you. You can come in. You know, hunger and thirst for righteousness means you know that you want to be right with God because he's the king. Nehemiah was able to write letters to the king and get authority to build the house of God, to build the, the city. The king gives you access. The king gives you authority. The king gives you resources. The king gives you permission. Seeking first his righteousness is just, duh, it's just reality. You can't get anywhere without the king's favor. It's just describing reality, saying if you want to be in the kingdom, you need to be with the king. You need to be good with him. So hungering and seeking after righteousness is a no-brainer. Righteousness is right standing. It's the ability to go before the king. And it's nothing to do with yourself. You have no righteousness of your own. Your ability to stand before the king is by presenting his blood, saying, Jesus, I have done nothing right in my whole life. Every good thing has come from you. God, without you, I can do nothing. Righteousness, saying, God, I come before you and all I have to present is the blood of Jesus. And he says, that's enough. It is finished. It's not your good works. It's not your good behavior. It's not how many hours you prayed in tongues, although that'll help you. All you can present is, God, I believe. I believe in Jesus. And that is what makes you righteous. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. These are just descriptions of reality. Okay, I want to do, I'm going to skip over those because I want to do a few more. Um, in, in the armor of God, it talks about putting on the armor of God. Now, many Christians don't have a kingdom concept of the Bible. They don't really understand warfare They don't really understand citizenship. As I said in my previous episode, how did I become an Australian? I was born here. If you're born in the UK, you become a a, a citizen. And Jesus said, this is how you get born again. You get born again into the kingdom of God. That's how you become a citizen. And so we are born into the kingdom of God. So we are citizens. So Jesus is just describing reality. And Paul is saying, as a citizen, put on the armor of God. He says, finally, be strong. This is Ephesians chapter 6. Again, I said a popular verse that we all know and love. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Be strong in the Lord. So, the very first thing here is our strength is in abiding. This isn't about fighting the enemy. This isn't about putting on, you know, physical armor and taking on the devil. This whole passage of scripture is describing reality. The reality in the kingdom of God is our strength is in our oneness with God. Our strength, again, it's in our unity with God. Our strength is in our submission to God. There's a whole chapter in my book, God Men, about standing under. Understanding is standing under. A child who stands under their parents, the Bible says, will have a long life. Honor your mother and father that you may have a long life. If you stand under the umbrella, you won't get wet. It's when you come out from under the umbrella that you get wet. So Jesus said to the centurion, you have great faith. Great faith was the centurion understood authority. He understood that he was standing under authority. He understood that he had covering. See, when you submit to the government, it's good for you. Paul said it's not good for you to make your leaders' lives difficult, because that's rebellion. So when we stand under, we understand, we come under the covering. Pray, and God will give you insight, because I know you don't get it. Stand, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So our strength is in submission to Jesus. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So again, the armour is so that you can stand. Again, the word stand is about position, it's about standing still. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Yes, we are very aware of that, especially these days. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, yes, so that when the day of evil comes, what are we going to do, fight? No, Stand. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done all of that standing, stand. So again, this is not about putting on you know, physical armor and yelling and screaming at the devil. Everything in, in, in this passage is about standing. Everything in this passage is about being who you are. It's about not moving from the position you already have. In other words, all spiritual battle is trying to get you out of the position you already have. It's trying to get you off. It's trying to knock you off your place. He said, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done all that standing, to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, keep alert Always praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, my words may be given me, that I may make known the mystery of the gospel. So again, spiritual warfare as a Christian is standing. It's about abiding in God. It's about remaining in God, not moving from your position. You know, the, 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 the shield of faith protects you from the arrows. You don't have to run away. Just stand. You've got the shield of faith. You've got the peace of the gospel, you got your helmet on, you know you're saved. It's actually about standing. Why? Because the angels are going to fight for you. If you read the Bible with a kingdom understanding, you will see that God is the Lord of angel armies. You will see that God sends his angels to fight. It was the angels that... Took out the enemies of Israel. It was the angels that came and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the angels that Jesus said he could call 10,000 angels if he needed them to deliver him. It's the angels that are going to come at the end of the age with the opening of the scroll and with the judgments. The angels are going to, it's the angels that do the fighting. The angels are those who are ministering. Those are the ones who came to Jesus in the desert and fed him and strengthened him. Those are the ones that came in the garden and strengthened him. Those are the ones that are in your life to do the Lord's bidding, to do his word, to implement it. The angels are the ones who fight. We fight by standing. We fight by praying. We fight by believing. We fight by being citizens. When the US goes to war, when Australia goes to war, we send the army. We don't send the citizens. The citizens vote. The citizens protest. The citizens go to Parliament House. They go to the White House. And they stand out the front with signs and they say, you know, we want peace. We want peace. We want you to bring our troops back, whatever it is. So that is what you do. You pray. You petition heaven. That's your protest. Citizens demand their rights from their government. Citizens ask and seek and knock. But the angels are the ones that go and fight. Father God, I just want to pray for these Kingdom citizens of yours, these sons of God, let them be revealed to the world, as it were. Let them be revealed as the sons of God. You know, people need you to be revealed today. God is wanting you to be revealed today. The Holy Spirit is wanting you to be revealed today. You are the pillar and the ground of the truth, you are salt. You are light. It's time to believe the kingdom of God. It's time to believe the reality. When Jesus preaches, I want you to read the Bible now from a new perspective with understanding. I want you to read the Bible with understanding. I want you to read the Bible as a reality book. Jesus is describing reality. This is reality. If you look at a woman lustfully, you are in danger of hell. This is reality. Seek first the kingdom and you will find it. This is reality. So, Father God, I release the kingdom of God on these people. I activate it today. I ask for your angels to implement the word in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.